Welcome to Here's a Solution, the podcast where talking about work doesn't have to feel like it. Presented by Emily Shandruck Solutions with your host, Emily Shandruck and Chelsea Lockstead. Now, are you ready to get real about the everyday workplace? Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of what we've talked about already about our different experiences with workplaces, mine, I've got a couple more decades <laughs> under my belt, but hopefully we learn from mistakes. We keep learning to do things a little bit better and differently. And honestly, that's kind of the story that I have been able to take away from my cultivating safe space journey is learning from the woman, Elaine Alec, who started this and just what her journey has been mm-hmm. from, you know, her early life, how she developed and cultivated this type of training and then her innate need to share it with others mm-hmm. and just the the giving and the way that she is sharing it with others and just encourages other people to do it, not necessarily to you know, just make money or sustain a life, but just like the freedom in sharing this information. Well, and sometimes I feel like different, I don't even know the term you would use for it, but like when you're in this like area of employee relations, I find in my research of it, sometimes there's different like conflict resolution templates, you know, like this, we all come in and I'll do this system. Yeah. And then like, that's how we'll deal with the conflict in your workplace. But I find sometimes it gets very, it's packaged and it's like, it's this much money and it just seems like too much of like a product. Yeah. And it kind of gets like my backup a bit. Whereas this is, yeah, it's not like a proprietary, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, she's like, please use this. Well, exactly. And it's one thing that really pleasantly surprised me when I started the training, when I did my very first workshop where she said, okay, now you've done eight hours of this. You don't need to do the train the trainer if you choose not to. You can go out and you can share this information. And she gives you, like we said, all her templates, all her learnings. And she's just like, please go and share because the more people that even adopt a small piece of it and can look at the workplace or their interactions in a way that is safer and not as toxic, it's just going to be better for everybody. So it is truly amazing. And then when we did the train the trainer, you know, it it just kind of took it to that next level. Mm -hmm. Well, and so I'm kind of jumping ahead. Like we should probably take a second to explain what cultivating safe spaces is. But something that I really thought too, is like when I was looking at the graphic of like the nested system, Mm -hmm. it really is like, obviously like you're applying it to a workplace setting. Yeah. But to me, like this is so easy to apply to like, like parents yeah. You know, when you're, like, raising a child, like, any sort of conflict, not just workplace-related, it really resonated with me that you have to be looking at yourself first. Like, I've always thought that about parenting. Like, you should have to, like, go to therapy before you become a parent. <laughs> you know, you should have to try to figure out your stuff. Yeah. Before you do, because you're just going to perpetuate your own damage and all that, you know? So listener you're probably like what is the nested system so maybe emily you should just quickly do a quick brief overview of cultivating safe spaces absolutely we'll include an image of of what we're talking about this nested system 
And from the couple webinars and things that I have done, I really do start with talking about why I was drawn to cultivating safe spaces. And so it, it comes from a couple of things, one of them being an author that we brought to Thunder Bay just over a year ago, Brandy Morin. And Brandy talking about some of the teachings and learnings um, and her interactions with Elaine. And so then I went down a bit of a Instagram rabbit hole and found Elaine. And then through that, I actually found another podcast called Go Smudge Yourself with Jen Green. And Jen has done the training and now works quite closely with Elaine. But in the beginning of Jen's own trainings, she really talks about cultivating safe spaces and and how she uses the teachings. And so it was by listening to these podcasts, kind of getting some of the information from Brandy that I then decided I wanted to learn a little bit more. So, and it's very interesting that we, that you talked about the nested system about how, yes, I apply it to workplace conflict, but you know, yes, you could use it for parenting. You could use it, you know, Elaine has like a full list of everything. And she often says, kind of like our earlier conversation, somebody might ask her to come in because of workplace conflict, change management, there's been a reorganization in a, in a business. And even though the situations change, she always starts with the nested systems. She always starts with what cultivating safe spaces is, because as you've, you've said, and as she explains, it applies to everything because you start with you. Mm-hmm. So the you is at the very, very, very center of this diagram. And it's all about knowing, you know, what motivates you, but also what triggers you. Mm-hmm. How do you respond to things? Very similar to a conversation we were having earlier of on a perfect day, if a colleague called in and said, hey, I'm running behind, I'm going to be late to the meeting. And everything in your world is just clicking along, tickety-boo, yeah. you're happy. You're usually like, absolutely no problem. We'll start with another agenda item. That way you can jump right in when you get here. Now on a day where maybe you slept in or you know your kids were fighting, you got in the car late and you were already maybe not in you know that perfect harmonious state yeah. when you get that call, do you still react with that openness and compassion? Yeah, exactly. And I think <laughs> most people probably wouldn't. No. So the, the overall poster that you'll see when we, pu- when we share it is this rooted and interconnected system, or as we talked about, Elaine calls it the nested system. And so every element within this poster comes with a corresponding responsibility. When I talk about cultivating safe spaces and the things that I've taken in, that the information that I'm sharing, like it's not exclusively mine. Mm-hmm. Obviously it came from Elaine, but I'm interpreting it the way that it makes sense for me. And so... Elaine really talks about how it wasn't even her information to start with, too, how she really took it in from a lot of the elders that she worked with. So this interwoven system is is really based on what she also says, an interconnected systems model, where from her original teachings, it's all about the individual and then the family and then the community, the nation and the land. So the way I've been interpreting it, the way I've been using it is more about like the individual, maybe your, your workplace team, Mm -hmm. and then your 
your company and whether or not that company is just, you know, your local branch or then maybe it expands to provincial and then national. So again, it's all about how it starts with you. And um, we really talk about how that's part of the understanding yourself. And it's sort of the first sentence that it kind of starts it with that I think sets the tone. So you can't cultivate a safe space unless you are one. Yeah. Do you think when I hear that statement, I really like it, but do you think that is a like a static thing? Like you don't, do you think you like just get to the point where like you are a safe space? Good question. And I think to our earlier point, I think when your life is great, it's easier Mm -hmm. for you to be a safe space. And I think with additional, whether it's training or just reflection, a lot of your own work, when other things in your life are being kind of out of your control or maybe they're a little bit more chaotic or just busy, like we just came out of the holiday season, Mm -hmm. like regardless of how well you can plan, like things are just busy. And so if you have maybe a bit more of that self-awareness or you're able to say, okay, look, I'm feeling really triggered right now. And even to say to the person, like, I understand you're running late. I'm feeling frustrated. And even to say, like, I'm feeling frustrated, but that's me. Mm -hmm. So. Well, and it's an interesting idea. And um, it makes me think of something that I'm working on in therapy. And obviously my therapy is more focused on grief um, rather than workplace frustration. But what it has to do with is feelings is that there's no purpose in trying to deny that feeling, you know? So if you can just let yourself accept the fact that in this moment you're feeling frustrated and then accepting the fact that your feelings are visitors and that you're not always frustrated. You're just in this moment, there is something frustrating you. What is that? And once you can identify that and accept the fact that you're feeling it, you can move on and act in a more, let's say appropriate fashion. Yeah, like one point that I've talked a lot about in some of these webinars is that the way we show up always impacts other people. Mm And at the same time, you can't always be responsible for how other people react to you. Mm -hmm. You can't always take on that responsibility, whether you're a manager or director of, you know, I better be happy so my team is happy. Yeah. But to your point, it's, it's about like just own your feelings and be able to voice them. Like think about, you know, between a scenario of a manager or somebody showing up in a meeting and being like, look, we're already running behind. We're just going to whip through this agenda. You know, talk to me later with your questions. We don't have time for a break. Like, let's go. Because that person maybe all of a sudden had three more meetings put on their plate. Yeah. But they don't voice that. Yeah. And all of a sudden your team in the meeting is feeling like, okay, so wish I'd gone pee before this meeting. And... I guess the questions that I had prepared for this don't matter. And I'm really not feeling the vibe that I can even talk to this person later versus, you know, you are a manager and yeah, you just had three more meetings get put on your plate and you walk into a meeting and you're like, look guys, uh, I have to cut this short because my day kind of got flipped around. Um, So what are like, what are, what are your top priorities that you really need my attention from? Mm -hmm. And then I absolutely want to reschedule so that we have adequate time to address everything else. Yeah. Like it's a mind shift. They say the exact same thing. You're stressed for time. 
but what matters? What matters is that you are still creating this space of inclusivity. You're promoting well-being within your team. You really value people. You want your team to know that they're important. You just might not have the time for them in that exact scheduled meeting. Yeah, and then like and then you can see how like it's a chain reaction because if they had a workplace that the entire culture was based around this idea of being a safe space, then the way that manager got told they now have three additional meetings, like that would be different. Yeah. If it was truly coming from like the top down. Yeah. And then it would change everything. Absolutely. You know? And so as we move sort of like, so the understanding the self is really about that, like kind of paying attention to yourself. So like what makes you feel frustrated? What makes you feel valued? What makes you feel like those quick triggers? And then leaning into that a little bit and trying to figure out, okay, so what is it about the situation, the person, the conversation that is doing this to me? And what can I do to still make this a safe space? As in, how can I still make sure that, and I would say in Elaine's language, how can I still approach things from a love-based practice? And it doesn't mean... (laughs) And I, it's funny because I think I first got triggered when I heard a love-based practice because I'm like, I don't need to love. Yeah, yeah, the <laughs> word love, yeah. Um, so I think because when you look at whether you could come at things from love or fear, those are the two sides of the coin that Elaine really talks about and the way that we learn that, as she's shared, colonial systems are really based on fear and control. When you look at things like policies, processes, legislation, they're all put in place to control people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you're afraid you'll lose control of the people that you are like working with or, you know, that have been brought together, especially if you don't know the answer to something. Maybe you you know, aren't sure how to proceed on a project and and you're feeling lost. And so it's very easy for people, I think, to regress to fear and put that out on people. And I know I've experienced that where when I can now reflect on how I was treated, it was definitely out of fear. It was out of fear that, you know, that this other person was going to look bad. And so in order for them to maintain the image that they wanted, they led with with fear and with a lot of, yeah, a lot of control, but a lot of like, like that micromanaging control where I'm not going to let you take one step forward until you've told me how you're like even lifting your leg kind of thing. Yeah, it's so, I, I really agree with that statement that um, colonial systems deal in like fear and control because it, it like what happens if you lose control mm-hmm. you know what I mean like what what's the worst thing that happens right you know there was a quote so listeners I just listened to uh Emily recorded a webinar about cultivating safe spaces a couple of weeks ago and I listened to it and she had a quote where she said when was a time you felt like you had an excellent manager or boss what was it about them that made them a good leader those are the ways that you felt safe, seen, and heard. And that really resonated with me because I think, like, the word safe is kind of similar to the word love. Like, you have such a specific idea of what that word means. Yeah. So when I hear cultivating safe space, I'm like, well, safe means, like, you don't feel like you're in danger. Right. Which isn't, like, that's true. But it's also, like, 
your, your manager made you feel, feel safe because they made you feel seen and they mm-hmm. made you feel supported and they made you feel like you could go with things, sorry, you could go to them if things went wrong, if you made a mistake, which all people do. Right. <laughs> they were a person that you could go to and you're not just immediately going to be chastised or you're, yeah. you know, yelled at or anything like that. And so I had never thought about it, that perspective of like, I just thought like if I have a great manager, a great boss, like they're a good leader, but I'd never really taken the next step to think of like how they were making me feel. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I really liked that quote. The part that resonated with me the most when I first got into this around the idea of a love-based practice is around not knowing the answer to everything. Mm -hmm. And a very quick example that Elaine gave in the very first workshop I ever did with her was around creating an agenda. As someone who leads workshops, creates webinars, things like that, people, I think, anticipate that I will present them with an agenda. Or when people have asked me, like, hey, what do you do? Like, I have this problem, like, put together a workshop. And I think the part that's always felt very incongruent for me was, but I want to know what you need. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to create something and sort of force feed it to you because I think it's what you need. I want you to tell me what you need. And so this made me feel I wasn't the person that maybe wasn't getting it but that the way things are set up is that people expect you to come with an agenda. However, if you're coming with an agenda, you as like the facilitator, the outside person, you're doing it for you. Like I'm creating an agenda that is full of things that I know about and it makes sense for me because it usually is going to be filled with things where I know the answers to everything. Yeah. Well, that's why the word agenda also gets used as like a like when you have an agenda, like you have have your motivation for doing something. hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the ways that Elaine sort of flipped this, and it's something that I was doing, I definitely do now is leaving a lot of space in the agenda for the group, the organization, the person that you're working with to fill it with what they are looking for Mm -hmm. and leave more space for those aha moments or, you know, the, they told you about the tip of the iceberg, but you have the massive like Titanic sinking piece mm-hmm. underneath. Right. And I, again, even after just doing a short workshop with Elaine, when I did some work with an organization and I kind of did this, like I, I had an agenda ready based on things that they had told me about, but I left a lot of room and it a hundred percent, I had, I had three workshops b- booked and after the first workshop, I scrapped everything else I had even remotely told them that we were going to work on because okay. it was so apparent in that first meeting that what they needed was not what they first told me that they right. wanted. Well, and I think that goes back to the control. Like for you, to, like I could see in a certain, if you weren't you and you weren't doing it with this method, you know, you would never, like you had planned something. You had told them that's what you'd be doing. You would never scrap that. Because that looks like almost, like, that's a change. Right. You know, like, that's a lack of control. Yeah. You know. And and definitely, in my, like, deep recesses of my brain, I don't want to not look like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Because that's a lot of, like... <laughs> yeah. A lot of things about, you know, like, that goes back to a lot of early trauma where I was basically told, well, you're a young female, you don't know what you're doing, right? So it's it's more about leaning on, okay, I do know what I'm doing. I was brought here for a reason, but I can also give some of that control back. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the 
the second circle within the nested system is that love-based practice. And I really think it's about letting go of that control. And I do agree that like, you know, it talks a, a, like when we were talking about policies and, and things like that, I think that, and I believe we chatted about this before, I think policies are necessary because there needs to be a guideline. Yeah. But just like we were saying, people are human. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to need policies to be flexible in the way that they are actually applied to human beings. And just because a policy was written a certain way, I find it very fearful when people cannot then extend things or make it work with a slight adjustment. Yeah, or like within the context of what's actually happening. Yeah. And one of the, the, the very simple analogies I do is, you know, a policy was written one way because something happened or people believed it was trying to prevent something from happening. But then life continues. Yeah. We have a caution hot on our coffee cups for a reason. Mm-hmm. Because, <laughs> do you know why? Sorry, this is a tangent. The woman that was burned by the coffee... So McDonald's knew that they were serving the coffee too hot. Right. But the reason they were serving the coffee too hot was because they had created this, like, idea that if you serve the coffee too hot... Because you know how some people, like, older people or younger people, I don't know, go to McDonald's to, like, sit and hang out and drink their coffee? If they serve the coffee too hot, someone has to sit there and wait for 10 minutes for their coffee to cool down, and then they're going to drink it, and then they're probably going to leave. Whereas if they can sit down and start drinking the coffee right away, they're going to sit at McDonald's longer and loiter. Mm. Just a tangent. Interesting. I mean, I did know that they knew they were serving the hot, mm-hmm. the coffee too hot. And then the woman, elderly woman, who had to get, like, skin grafts. Yeah. All she wanted was the money to, like, cover her surgeries. Right. Like, it was something like $100,000. Yeah. Which is nothing for McDonald's. No, but when you come from such a fear-based economy where you're like you don't get a dime you should have known your coffee was hot yeah then you're gonna like pay the price one way or the other the next circle you'll see on the nested system is patience and it really goes kind of back to knowing yourself because it's really having patience for other people's perspectives how other people show up and it's really understanding that when you're triggered and you feel impatient with what's happening, you're being impatient with yourself, how do you, again, come back to a love-based practice and go, okay, this isn't necessarily how I would approach this situation. But again, as I've said in some previous podcasts about, you know, quote unquote, difficult people, are they difficult or do they just view the world in a different way? And How great is that? Because now we actually have other ideas. You know, maybe it's, I always look at my husband, the devil's advocate person, who's always the first to point out maybe a flaw in a plan or dissect something. And while sometimes I can be like, wah, wah, like, Mm -hmm. okay, thanks, Debbie Downer. I'm also grateful that, okay, you are actually making sure that I've thought through a situation. Because I'm very much like, get your cult, we're going. Where? I don't know, we got to do something. Yeah. Well, and it's because you always, not you specifically, obviously, but the royal you, you always think that the thing that you're presenting is the right thing. Right, yes. You know, so when you hear someone playing devil's advocate, quote-unquote, that's automatically, like, a negative thing, you know? Right. But what about if what the plan is being presented is really bad in some way? Right. You know? What if you hadn't thought about, oh, we actually can't 
proceed with this because we didn't actually think about this whole other segment of the population. I just saw a a video. It was a professor from a university and he was talking about, he was talking to his class and he said, who here is against slavery? Like if you had been alive when slavery was around, who would be against it? And everyone was like, obviously, yes, of course. And he was like, if you were against slavery at that time, you would have been against your government, probably your family, your religion, you would have been up against all of these systems, you know? So, okay, so who would have been against uh, women's suffrage when women weren't allowed to vote? Everyone, no, I would never be against that. Okay, well, you would have been against your government, probably your family, probably your religion. So what's happening right now that your government allows, your family reinforces, your religion might reinforce? And it really made me, like, think, you know, about how... So I don't know, I think that just kind of like ties together because maybe that devil's advocate is really finding something, yeah. you know, that's worth discussing. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, I don't think we're necessarily going to get into all the perspectives today on this podcast, but it's something that I do want to talk about. And But it is really being a bit more open to other ideas. And again, if you know yourself and you know that whether it's a person or a topic or a situation that will trigger you, how do you work within that? How do you create your own boundaries and guidelines where you can ensure that that, whether it's someone that reports directly to you or a member of your team or another team can still contribute and they feel seen and important, but it still works for you as well. Because we're not saying give up on who you are and, and what you stand for to ensure everyone else feels okay. Mm-hmm. But it's how do you make it work for you? So how, you know, that person that wants to bring up something at the very end of the meeting, they're, they're always the, you know, <laughs> I remember a meme from like early in the, in the pandemic of like, just wanna, just wanna circle back. Mm-hmm. Somebody saying, I didn't realize I was married to the, the circle yeah. back guy. Yeah. But if you know that somebody's always bringing that up and you know that it then extends the meeting for an extra 10, 15 minutes, how can you maybe work with that person to ask them to maybe schedule a follow-up meeting with you? Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, it doesn't impact your entire team's day, you know, extends a meeting, gets people frustrated, but still allows them to be heard. Yeah. Or maybe you ask them to be the note taker mm-hmm. and you then say, okay, anything else we didn't miss, just throw some notes and some questions at the bottom yeah. and we know I'll review them. Give people tasks that make them feel like a part of it but it still works for you as well. Yeah. I, uh, in, in the webinar that I watched that you did, you were talking about like the person that raises their hand and has questions mm-hmm. and a certain type of person might be annoyed that they didn't ask the question in the moment. But for this person, like they might just need some more time to yeah. like, digest or they might feel that it's better to not interrupt the person while they're speaking and wait for the question at the end. But it really made me think about in my own practice, like when I was in teacher's college and doing placements, It's very common, and I did this, when you're explaining an assignment to kids, you know, and it's ask your questions now because I'm not answering them later. Right. But what you're, what you're, the rationale of that is that you want them to be listening to you and paying attention to you right now and engaged. Yeah. And if they're not engaged, the way they'll show that is by not asking the questions that they should be, quote unquote, thinking about right now. Mm -hmm. So when you said that, I really had a revelation of like, a kid might have to sit for 10, 15 minutes and really digest this assignment. Yeah. Before they have a question. And so you're really shutting them down 
by saying, if you're not asking it in this moment, you're not asking it at all. Absolutely. And it's something that I've tried to actually implement in. So dear listeners, throughout the fall, I was teaching a course at our local college. I understand that we all learn and take in information in different ways. And I even asked the class at the beginning to kind of do like a mini survey for me and tell me how they learn best. So do you just take notes during a lecture? Do you like more visual aids? Do you like audio aids? Things like that. And so I implemented a lot of things like some TED Talks and some podcasts and and other ways of learning. But one thing I also did was not only share my slides with the class, but actually my notes. Mm -hmm. Because I need to like write out my lectures. And I actually got some feedback from some students that they felt it was really helpful because it allowed them to just listen in class. Right. And like, you know, maybe sometimes if I was giving a lecture and I'd say, hey, that's a really great question that might show up on your exam later. Yeah, like write that down. They'd write that down or they might jot a few things down, but they at least had my notes to go back to, mm-hmm. to like see the things that I felt were important from the chapter to highlight and that it allowed them to just read through things in a different way. So they could both listen, they could read, they had my slides, my slides, which were mostly just fun images because I'm not the person that's going to put up my whole like lecture on a slide and then mm-hmm. read that because no one wants that. <laughs> well, and I think like really our current like post-secondary system, the college university system, that's a great example of like a colonial system. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So I think sometimes I just want to take a second to talk, talk about this because I feel like sometimes when you hear that term, like, well, what, what's a, what's a colonial system? And because when you live in what you live in, you don't see it. Yeah. You know, so it's like the way we go to post-secondary school, our our judicial system, our education system, that's, it's just the way it is here. That's not the way, like, this is all made up systems. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think, like, like, if we were in university, like, 30, 40 years ago, that is not how you'd be teaching your course. You know, you wouldn't be giving people, not that there would have been, like... You would have had the projector and people would have come into the class sat down and you would have spoke for an hour and a half non-stop they would have taken notes and then the class would end and they would get up and leave and that would have been the entire duration of the class and that might not have been the way that some people learned best but that didn't matter because that's just how university was so this is kind of led into and we've it helps especially your point about that around spaces and that is around the last circle there discipline and it really talks about how you could show up in different ways to, to, to spaces. And Elaine really talks about how discipline is like meditating. It's really hard to focus on one thing and really quiet your mind. And, and it's one of those things where, and it goes back to an old podcast that we've done around hearing versus listening. So when people don't feel listened to, they do not feel respected. They do not, they won't feel loved. They will not feel like, you know, you're somebody that is that safe space for them to be to. So discipline really means disciplined listening. And again, that's really about hearing what the person is saying, taking it in, whether or not they're asking for advice or permission or just a space to share in, really recognizing that the way people come into a space has nothing to do with you Mm -hmm. right so 
I've talked about this before and it, and, and that's why like I've kind of started to meld together both Elaine's nested system and a lot of the work that I've done with conflict around the circle of conflict and knowing that when somebody walks into work, they are bringing with them everything that happened to them on that day, that morning, that afternoon, whatever, before they've shown up mm-hmm. and how they're showing up initially will have how they enter that space will probably have nothing to do with you Mm -hmm. but how things proceed and how you maybe take on that energy or how you're triggered again coming back to yourself that can have everything to do with you yeah well and I think it all really does like go back to the self and this mindfulness of you need to be in a place where okay so you come into work and your boss is in a horrible mood they've been reamed out by their boss like all of that and it's so easy. So then your boss comes to you and is in a very negative headspace. And then it's so easy to just then be, my boss is like, now they're reaming me out and now I'm in a bad mood, you know, and you just let it happen. Whereas if you can practice that mindfulness of, okay, my boss is in a horrible mood and maybe isn't treating me with a lot of kindness in this moment, but I don't have to take that on. You know, if you can have that mindfulness to stop in the moment and see it in them and then say, no, but that whatever is happening with them is causing them to act like that. I don't have to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so that's just the inside of that nested system. And I really want to talk about the other parts of this diagram, but I think we're going to save that for another day (laughs) (laughs) just so that this doesn't turn into like a four hour episode. Yes, definitely. Well, listeners, we won't be doing our positive thing of the week because this is a special two-parter. So you'll have to wait for the next one. And we will see you next time. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Charles. Bye. Thank you for listening to Here's a Solution, presented by Emily Shandruck Solutions. This podcast is hosted by Emily Shandruck and Chelsea Lockstead. Editing and sound engineering by Nick Donati. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and wherever you love to listen. And if you would like, you can follow us on Facebook at Emily Shandrick Solutions, on Instagram at Solution Boss. And if you have a question or a situation you'd like us to discuss on the show, send us a DM or email us at podcast at emilyshandrucksolutions.com. Shandrick is S-H-A-N-D-R-U-K. For more information, visit emilyshandrucksolutions.com.